Hey guys, it's Abdul for your good friends over at Leon Tailoring, 809 North Delaware, downtown Indianapolis. For the most part, the holidays, I'll admit it, the holiday seasons are pretty much here. So might as well go ahead and start your holidays, Christmas, Hanukkah, you know, kind of Cremanza shopping, no matter what it is. So might I recommend our good friends over at Leon Tailoring. Get your loved one a nice gift certificate for some good clothes over at Leon Tailoring. They get something ready-made, something custom-made, or something tailor-made, no matter what it is, you can find it over at Leon Tailoring. Tell Larry, Norm, Kim, and Judy, Abdul sent you. They'll take care of you. Leon Tailoring, 809 North Delaware, downtown Indianapolis. Next, um, driving academic proficiency. As Kevin pointed out, the um, numbers we've seen, um, particularly recently, but even prior to the, the pandemic in terms of our proficiency rates for K-12 student are somewhere between alarming and, and depressing. Um, and it's been beyond that, it's been widely reported that not only in Indiana, but across the country, um, it's gonna take three to five years for students to get back to where they were pre-pandemic, which I wish I could say our numbers were great pre-pandemic, but in many cases, they, 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 were, they were lackluster, particularly for low-income minority students. And so we think this is an area that the state really needs to double down um, and, and build on the progress we've seen over the last couple of years. Um, you know, the legislature, to its credit, has made some substantial investments along with the Department of Education and, you know, local tutoring programs and you know, community partnerships. And we think we should build on that by, one, making sure summer school is fully funded across the state and then kind of a, taking a, a carrot stick type approach. It's our view that um, students who are consistently not performing at grade level um, should be expected to take advantage of either out-of-school tutoring or summer school programs provided by their local district community partners. If we're making these investments and students and families um, don't have the wherewithal or the motivation to take advantage of it, what we need to kind of nudge them um, to, to move in that direction. And, you know, from the other side, I think that students who are making good progress, that you know, the state should take some of its re, um, uh, resources and incent them to stay on that path and put um, some sort of annual funding um, into an education savings type account, a college savings plan, something of the like. We're agnostic to exactly what the, that form might look like, but we think it makes sense to kind of take a, a two-pronged approach to this, insisting that students that need the help get that help where it's available, and the students who are performing and staying on track, um, that we should incent them to be not only doing well in school now, but understanding that the state's going to um, provide backing to them um, to support their education post high school as well, which, as we know from a wide variety of studies, um, the main reason why families and students choose not to continue their education by high school is their belief, and largely it's a misconception that they can't afford it. We have the programs. Um, we need students to take advantage of those um, through means like this, and also to, to repeat what Kevin said earlier, to do simple um, things like file, file the, the FAFSA so students understand that at a minimum they qualify for those next level job certificates. Um, next, um, career readiness. Um, we have several things that we think we can do and consistent with what we heard um, from Speaker Houston at our legislative preview event um, prior to the Thanksgiving holiday. Um, opportunities to make high school more relevant, make high school more flexible, and provide more opportunities for students to engage in things like work-based learning. They're gonna help expand their horizons, give them um, relevant and practical skills that they can take with them into post-secondary education, but also into the workforce. Uh, all on those lines, just like you know, we think students should um, you know uh, be incented to take advantage of existing intervention supports are there. We also think that we need to you know be serious about carving out time for students to um, engage in intentional career exploration. Um, we have courses on the books at both the middle school and high school level um, called preparing for college and careers or, or, or related courses. Um, those are largely voluntary courses, and in some school districts have taken you know the, what we would consider the right step and made those default courses at 
all students take, but in other places that's simply not the case. And we think that, you know, in a state where we've got, you know, a counselor student ratio of, you know, 500 to one or even or even more in some places, and, you know, the students aren't going to get a well balanced understanding of what the career opportunities are, what the education requirements for those career opportunities are, and maybe most importantly of all, where the high wage, high growth, high demand industries are, and, you know, what the expectations to get in those industries are. And so we think the state thinks about, you know, um, revising its high school diploma requirements. This would be a good time to say, you know, in middle school and in high school, every student should take one of these courses or something comparable so that they've got a minimum baseline understanding of, you know, what the lay of the land is and, you know, what might be a good fit for them. Um, like, likewise, as Kevin pointed out, we had this two-tiered education system. There's been a lot of talk and good progress made around graduation pathways, uh, but the reality is um, in a lot of places, there aren't many choices, um, and in part because, and particularly in small and rural school districts, they just don't have the course offerings. Um, our view is, uh, you know, your, your education options shouldn't be determined by your zip code, and um, there should be a minimum core set of courses, particularly those who lead to, you know, post-secondary um, type experiences that every school offers. Now, that's not to say that every school um, can or should be doing that in isolation. They can do it in partnership with area school districts. They can do it in partnership with a community college campus. They can do it through distance learning. Um, we're open to any and all approaches for delivering these courses. We just don't think it should be acceptable that they not be offered at all. Um, as I said earlier, I think there's a lot of opportunity to strengthen and um, our current graduation requirements and wherever possible embed opportunities for students to graduate, not just with a diploma, but with some sort of post-secondary certificate or credential and a minimum of students completely that college core have essentially knocked out the first year or two of their college education. If they go more down a technical route, they could have a credential by the end of high school. It's going to dramatically increase their likelihood of employment in industry sectors that that pay a good wage and um, lead to longer term career opportunities. Um, uh, Kevin mentioned this earlier, you know, Indiana is fortunate to have the 21st century scholars program. It's the envy of many states and other states have modeled pro similar programs on it. Um, it's proven to be one of the highest performing programs in terms of students who complete the expectations in high school, go to college at higher rates than their peers, regardless of income. And in many cases, they're graduating from college at higher rates than their peers, regardless of income. But as Kevin pointed out, far too many students don't have the knowledge or the wherewithal to enroll. So we think we should take that barrier off the table and auto-enroll um, students in the program. They're still going to have to meet those preparation requirements that ensures that the state's making a smart investment in these students. But, you know, we, we think that, um, you know, we should take that enrollment um, period in middle school off the table as a barrier for students, um, get everyone in the pipeline and give them the opportunity to, to meet the expectations. And as I said earlier, even for our um, our non-low income students, we think that there should be opportunities for them to earn post-secondary credentials during high school as well. And then last but not least, um, this is an area that we as a chamber have, are highly engaged in around work-based learning. Um, we're fortunate to work with the Commission for Education to support the Earn Indiana program, which is in effect provides a wage subsidy for employers to cover half the wage for uh, a, a participating internship type of experience with, with our urging the legislature
also credentials. Um, and this kind of kind of cuts across all the different areas that IMR targeted investments that the state can make around some of these things related to talent development and talent retention. Um, we don't believe that government market is not necessarily responding in the ways that we want in some of these areas, which I think that there's um, looking at lessons from other states, there's opportunities for Indiana to make businesses that don't have the same resources as their, you know, their, their, their larger commitments in their workforce today, but also in the future. And along those lines, I'm just talking to first on child care, um, we've seen a, a pretty employers that are beginning to um, support um, child care opportunities. Um, we went from like one or two percent just a year or so ago, and now we're approaching sort of financial tax type credit, or whether it be matching grants that employers investing at some level to increase the number of seats, but also the number of high quality seats across the state. Um, next, um, what we're kind of calling Diploma Plus um, financial incentives um, for both schools and students to increase the number of high school graduates that, that complete not only a high school diploma, but a post-secondary credential. Um, as I said, we have this on work-based learning, we have this existing wage subsidies to the EARN program, we want to sustain and wherever possible expand that. Also think that we, the state might consider additional sort of capacity building grants, either directly to employers or kind of these regional intermediary type groups that are working across the, the educator and employer community to stand up these types of opportunities. We, we don't think that this is something that the state should um, support in perpetuity, uh, but we do think that, again, need to kind of prime that pump to, to get people um, kind of uh, through that startup phase so they can sustain these opportunities for the long term. Um, graduate retention, uh, as Kevin mentioned, um, this is an area that you know we we, we are lucky to have many um, uh, high quality, uh, you know, nationally and in many cases world, uh, um, globally recognized institutions for higher education. We are, as the Higher Education Commission has pointed out, we're 14th in attracting um, out-of-state students to Indiana's colleges. We are 40th in retaining those, um, and we think just like the states had some really good success through performance-based funding that incents um, students. And, um, and institutions of higher education, not just to enroll students, but to actually ensure those students complete um, a degree or credential, we can take a similar approach um, on the uh, graduate retention end by adding, um, you know, a, a, a graduate um, retention or job placement, mis, placement easy for me to say, metric to the, um, the current higher education performance funding formula, or whether, you know, maybe take a two-pronged approach and, and also create maybe a direct incentives for um, the college graduates themselves to live and work in Indiana. Um, and we think that these types of incentives um, should be targeted, particularly in those, you know, um, high need STEM-related fields that increasingly are the deciding factor on whether um, companies decide to relocate their businesses or expand their businesses in, in Indiana versus some of our um, Midwestern peers. 
And then last but not least, um, reference this earlier, employers in Indiana do a, an incredible amount of training. Unfortunately, a fair amount of that doesn't result in any kind of recognized credential that that individual um, can take to other companies. Um, and that, that, that kind of has two limiting factors. Um, one, it doesn't provide the individual currency uh, in the labor market. Um, you know, um, but beyond that, um, it also, um, that training that doesn't result in a credential doesn't show up in our education attainment rankings. And so when companies, and we've talked to our board members that are in the site selection business, increasingly they're looking at what's a state or a metro area's education attainment level, what specific credentials do, do they have that are aligned with their business needs. And that all too often is the deciding factor on whether, where they choose to relocate or expand their businesses. Yes, business climate's important, and we're fortunate to be among the top states in that regard. Um, but you know, um, cost of doing business and the regulatory environment, the, the tax environment, um, that at one time may have been sufficient to track that outside um, uh, private sector investment. But today, it's it's a, it's it's a it's a must-have, but it's not sufficient in and of itself. And so, um, we'd like to create additional incentives for employers to invest in training that culminates in some sort of recognized credential that is going to give that individual utility in the workplace, but also um, help our economic competitiveness moving forward. Um, and with that, that's kind of a, a brief, maybe not brief enough, but a brief snapshot of uh, some of the policies that we're going to be pushing forward during the upcoming legislative session that are, uh, uh, you know, intentionally aligned to um, to attack many of those those metrics that today we're, we're just not pleased with where we stand. And we think that any as well positioned through, you know, good um, uh, financial stewardship by our state lawmakers and the governor that we've, we've got the reserves, we've got the resources that now's the time to make some really significant, smart, long-term investments that are going to start to, you know, turn the tide on some of these numbers to get Indiana where, Indiana where we we want and where we need to be. And with that, I guess I'll, I'll turn over to you, Kevin, if you have any um, additional Well, actually, I think we probably questions. should go right into questions. Or right into questions. That works, too. Going right into questions. Um, the first one here, and if you do have a question, please put it in the chat function, then I'll call on you and we'll um, ask you to unmute. Abdul, I believe you have the question. The floor is yours. Thank you. Uh, Kevin, uh, Jason, uh, I'll just say exactly what you guys are trying to do to get Indiana where it needs to be. How did we get here? Because that's one thing I just can't quite figure out and understand with our workforce development issues. Uh, obviously, you need to post-secondary something, whether it's certificate, college degree, how do you get in the situation? Well, I would say you really have to go back a long way and, and realize the, the prior nature of our state's economy, which was uh, agriculture and manufacturing. Uh, and we still remain the most manufacturing intensive state in the country. And um, those uh, areas were not, uh, did not require um, as much education as they did, you know, as a strong back and a, and, a, and a willingness to come come to work every day. So we were kind of behind the curve to begin with, and uh, we just haven't caught up. And uh, it, our uh, standings and our deficiencies have, um, become more evident as the world and the country has moved to a more knowledge-based or what I call talent-driven economy. Um, and so I think we, we, we started behind, but, you know, I go back to like when I got out of high school, you know, you could go right into working at the factory, uh, putting tab A and slot B 
uh, as it went down the assembly line, make a very good living wage. And uh, that's not the case today. Yeah, and despite a, 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 an incredible amount of evidence to the contrary, there is a fair number of uh, Hoosiers that, that still believe that a high school diploma is enough. And whether you look at the you know the the last great recession or you know COVID nineteen. Um, you know the vast majority, you know close to one hundred percent. I think ninety nine percent of jobs have been created in the wake of each of those issues. Um, have have all gone to those with some sort of education training um, beyond high school. Um, and you know I think there's there's sort of some wishful thinking in, in some circles that you know um, yeah well students might not be going on to some sort of higher education but they're going to going to work well I wish I could say that's the case but the labor participation rates for um, students today who aren't going on to post-secondary um, are, are, are on decline. So they're not working, they're not going to school, and long-term, they're not employable. And I think good intentions, but our education system may have overcorrected and went from sort of like not everyone needs post-secondary to everyone needs to go to a four-year university. Um, not that we don't need more students with four-year degrees, we do, um, but there's you know a wide range of opportunities between that and, and only a high school diploma um, that are relevant and provide good opportunities. And you know, we perhaps have not done as good of a job as we as we as we should in terms of making those opportunities available and helping students understand um, you know the utility of doing so. We have a couple questions? more questions that we want to get to. Um, first we'll go to Whitney Downer to unmute and then Adam Reyes. Good morning. Um, my question is, what is the appetite for this at the General Assembly, uh, you know, this year? We've known about some of these problems for a long time. I'm thinking about child care and, you know, low I learn scores in particular. Um, you know, what do you actually think this is something that will be acted upon in the upcoming general uh, upcoming session? I'm uh, I'm encouraged, as I said, we've been um, delivering this white paper to every legislator that we've sat down with um, over the course of the summer and the fall. And um, when you listen to the discussions at our uh, legislative preview last week and read media accounts, um, and start, we're starting this, to, that word pipeline and talent pipeline <clears throat> is being used. And there's um, uh, comments on <clears throat> different aspects of this that we've been talking about. So that was kind of our goal was to really beat the drum, um, you know, all during this legislative interim uh, to get them primed to, to focus and say, look, you know, all these other good things we've done on our business climate and tax climate will be for naught if we don't fix our talent problems. Yeah, I think we've been encouraged to see, at least conceptually, there seems to be a fair amount of alignment both in our conversations with lawmakers, from you know the governor's office, the the recommendations coming out of the governor's workforce cabinet, and even the you know the comments that were made um, just last week by the legislative leaders at our at our legislative preview event. I think you know, uh, most are talking about child care, talent development, the need to make you know education and post secondary education, in particular, more relevant. Um, now we've got to take that next step and actually you know put our money where our mouth is and you know make those investments that they're going to start to turn these numbers around. I think you know as Kevin pointed out, or maybe maybe uh, some of our, our questions pointed out, these are not necessarily new problems, but I think there's a, a greater recognition about you know the areas that we need to attack and start to turn these turn these numbers around. Adam, if you want to go ahead and unmute and ask your question. Sure. Thank you so much. 
Um, so you referenced some analysis by economist Michael Hicks. I spoke to him after the governor's workforce cabinet recommendations came out. Um, he said those recommendations are a good start, but that you know he argues the problem won't be solved unless the state legislature recognizes, quote, we have a deficit here. We're going to have to raise taxes, spend more money, and do this more efficiently. Uh, how would you respond to that, um, that solution that he proposes? Well, given that the um, the significant structural surplus that the state has, as well as um, you know considerable one-time reserves, um, I think we ought to start by making strategic investments there um, before we start you know talking about tax increases um, to address this. So I, I think it's more of my, my thought would be. We need to take more of an incremental approach, um, but with with a great sense of urgency. Um, so I, I guess I'd have to see his uh, uh, intended. You know, what, how much money does he think needs to be raised, and where does it need to be spent to um, plug these holes? We have a. It doesn't look like we have any more questions. If you do find out after you uh, sort of absorb the presentation and you should be receiving the press release shortly, if you haven't already, um, please feel free to set something up, hopefully yet today, if that works with your schedule, uh, with Kevin, very important issue. And have a This podcast was produced and edited by Chris Spangle and Leaders and Legends, LLC. If you're interested in starting a podcast or taking yours to the next level, please contact us at leadersandlegends.net.